Well, good evening and welcome you as well to our preparatory service. Thank you each one for coming out. I think I'll start with an important part of the agenda tonight. In case you had, didn't know it, Mike Weaver is home. So uh, let's praise the Lord there. I guess he still has a journey to take, but he is home, so that's a, a good step in the correct direction. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 15. As you're turning there, uh, I was thinking about our communion service coming up on Sunday. I thought about one word that the service revolves around. And, and if I would open it up, I'm sure there's a number of words that w- would come out, and there's not a lot of right or wrong, but the word that I thought about is the word love. So three short points here. If you have your Bibles open to John 15, let's read verse, I want to read verse 13. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So first of all, we consider the love that the Lord Jesus had for us. How big was that love? Love to the point of being willing to die for us. Why did he die for us? Again, because he loved us. Secondly, turn uh, to chapter 14 and verse, verse 15. John 14, 15, Jesus said here again, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, secondly, as we remember, Jesus showed his love for us by dying for, for us, and we are to show our love to him by our obedience to him and his commands. He says, if you love me. So are we showing the world that, uh, are we showing the world that we love Jesus? Can they see that by looking at us? Do we follow his commands? And then thirdly, love comes by our love for each other. And John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And does our love for others prove that we are his disciples? And I'm sure there are other words that our community service could be wrapped around, but the word love is what I had thought about. So a few weeks ago we had our, our council service where we were encouraged to search our hearts and answer uh, a few of the questions there on, on the council papers. And... That report is back. 100% are in favor of moving ahead with the, with the ordination. And all expressed peace. They're looking forward to communion on Sunday. And there were many words of uh, a blessing for the church as well as the ministry. And from the ministry standpoint, we want to say a thank you. But tonight, we're looking at making final preparations uh, in our hearts as we prepare to partake on Sunday in our very special communion service. And recently... I guess over the past weekend, I was asked by uh, someone, and they said, well, how long did your communion service last? And uh, I answered the question, but then I thought to myself later on, the length of the time of the service is not what's important. And so many times I'm governed so much by the clock, and I, maybe I'll watch it too close. But the length of the time of the service is not what's important, but what is important is that I, that we, get to share this special service with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. We have the opportunity and the blessing to come here Sunday morning and to experience a communion service with our church body. 
And what is more precious than that? And of utmost importance. So what an exciting time as we remember the suffering and death of the Lord who died and rose for us again. And that's what is important. We'll do something just a tad bit different tonight. On Sunday morning, I handed a, a question sheet out to, to three brothers and asked three brothers if they'd be willing to come up front tonight and answer some questions. So we're going to give them that opportunity at this time. Questions relating to communion service on Sunday morning, as well as the one, uh, one question will be more on, on church life. The first question is, uh, what is communion? Which is a basic question, but then the part we uh, really am interested to hear what the, this young man has to say is, what does it mean to you? So here's a two-point question. What is communion, and what does it mean to you? And that question was given to Eddie Weaver. I didn't see him yet, but I hope he's here. There he is. So let's give Eddie our attention. Okay. What is communion? Um... I think the best place to turn to to find that out is the scriptures, and I think we could all turn to, I'm going to read from Luke um, 22, that is the account of the gospel, that is the gospel that I'm going to read from. Um, I believe there are six times that communion is referenced in the New Testament. Three of the gospels, um, twice in 1 Corinthians, and one other time that's a little bit different that I want to look at as well in John 6. Um, but Luke, if you're in Luke 22, I think we'll start out here. Um, starting at verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire, and, and just picture, picture yourself, the setting of this is at uh, the Last Supper, it's the Passover, Jesus knows he's about to get arrested and suffer. Um, the Last Supper with the disciples. So, verse 15, starting again here. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So, I think we'll stop there. What is communion? Communion we do this in remembrance of, of Jesus. He said, it's a command. We do it in remembrance of him. In obedience to the command, and we do it, why? To rem- in remembrance of him. Um, and most importantly, I think, about the remembrance is um, the suffering, I think. Um, and the blood, he said, "Just the bread is my body, and the blood is my the the wine the the cup is is the New Testament in my blood." Um. So, by drinking and eating 
the communion, uh, the ordinance, we're, we are partaking with Christ in his body and blood. And I know you can get very uh, definitive about that um, transubstantiation or what all, I, that's just what it says and I don't know that we have to define it out any more than that. That's what communion is. There's one other reference or two other references I would like to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 has, um, um, is the other reference in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. Um, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10, and this is jumping into the middle of it, of, the, um, of his thoughts here in chapter 10. He's talking about idolatry and specifically eating meats offered to idols. Um, where was I going to Where for uh, Verse 14 um, of chapter 10. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So, there Paul, um, here in 1 Corinthians, um, we being many are one bread we're all partakers of that one bread um, and I think that through communion um, I don't know that I, I want to say a lot more I'll just let that speak for itself um, I'm going to let 1 Corinthians 11 go, along with the accounts in Matthew and uh, Mark. But now we can turn to John 6. So while you're turning there, the setting of this, Jesus had just, just fed the 5,000, and then he went across the sea. Um, a lot of people come running after him and say, Rabbi, where, where, when did you come here? And he said, you're, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracles but because you ate the bread and were filled. Um, labor, don't, don't work for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures to everlasting life. And then they ask him for a sign. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Um, Jesus said, we'll start in verse 33 here. Uh, or 32. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Um, due to the length of the passage, I think we're going to jump to verse 48. Um, so, the Jew, in response to what Jesus said there, um, the Jews said, murmured, because he said, I am the bread that came out of heaven, 
and they said, we know where he comes from. We know his dad and his mom. How is it that he says that he comes from heaven? Um, Verse 48, I would like to jump in at here. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto him, them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So, um, I was reading that and trying, pondering that a little bit. Um, it is important to partake um, communion in this light. Um, it is dwelling in Christ and Christ in us, um, through that. Um, and it is, I forget where I just, um, whoso eateth, 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. So it's a channel in 56 um, of dwelling in with Christ, and it's a it's a channel of life, of communion, and uh, reading this, uh, just looking at, looking into it, um, has deepened my appreciation of the ordinance itself in a way that I don't know that I had, um, and I think it's important to. Um, to want to partake, and I want to read back at what Luke said, or what Jesus said in Luke 22:15, and he said unto them, "With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." So Jesus had this desire um, to eat the, the Passover. Um, we're to do it in remembrance of Him and His sacrifice. Um, and to have a desire to partake. And we're partaking with the very, the body. It says, this is my body, this is my blood. Um, And just um, one thought that comes to my mind is just thanksgiving. Um, But anyhow... Thank you, Ed. Some 
good thoughts there, very good thoughts. Any comments? We don't want to put him on the spot, but any comments or questions on his question? Referring to his question. What did communion mean to you? And you can think about that. Question number two. Eddie tiptoed around 1 Corinthians 11 just a tad, but there's two verses in there that mention the word unworthily. So question number two is what happens when a member partakes unworthily? And Kurt Martin has agreed to uh, share on that one. Brother Kurt. All right, I'm going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to be reading verses 27 to 32. When Leon asked me about this, I like I knew I've heard these verses and growing up you hear this and I actually had a look where it was. I I wasn't exactly sure where to find these verses, but and once I studied into it, I looked at things a little bit differently as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and I'm going to read verses 27 to 32. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh, drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So, growing up, I always like would hear these verses, and I always thought of it as, you know, if you took communion and said everything was right and it wasn't, like, my mind immediately went to verse 29, where it says, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. And that was kind of the end of where I stopped with it and just treated it that way. And when you look into what these words actually mean, it's, it's a little bit different. It's more of a loving, this passage has a lot of love in it versus just harshness. Um, so verse 27, if we're eating this bread and drinking the cup unworthily or we're not, we're all unworthy of what Christ did for us. But if we come to communion and we have not made things right, we're taking it, unworthy people are taking it unworthily. Um, we're treating the blood of Christ as an unholy thing. Um, instead of being cleansed by his blood, it's more like we're re-crucifying him and shedding his blood all over. Um, verse 28 says, let a man examine himself. And we have counsel and preparatory for these things, uh, for this exact reason, so that we can examine ourselves before we eat and drink and take communion. Um, then in verse 29, this whole, this whole thing with damnation, um, when I looked into what that is, it's, it's better rendered as judgment. So, if we look at that a little differently, it's 
or we read it with that word in there, it puts a whole different twist on on how we read this verse. Um, if we're taking communion without being right, we're bringing judgment upon ourselves. And Paul is telling the Corinthians here um, in verse 30, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. So there was actually physical... Um, there's physical things that went with this, physical illnesses and death, because of how these how the Corinthians were treating communion. Um, in verse 31, Paul tells them if they would be more discerning and they would examine themselves and and look at their hearts and their minds before they take communion, he says these things would not have happened. Um, and then we come into verse 32 says, when ye are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Um, if you look at chastening, chastening is more like being disciplined. Um, so if this happens, the Lord will chasten us, but it's more of a discipline to make us realize what has happened and what we're doing. And if we reconsider our ways, we will not be condemned with the world or at the final judgment, we will not be condemned. Um, when I, you know, growing up, I just looked at it as, as if we took communion unworthily, that was, it was pretty serious, and it is, but I, like, to me it was kind of like it was an end of the road, like you kind of brought something on yourself that was going to be pretty, pretty tough to get rid of. But what's really going on here is the Lord is saying, if this happens, you're going to, there's going to be... Um, there's going to be things that happen. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be discipline. But it's a loving discipline to bring us back so that we are not condemned or damned at the end of the world, with the world, at the final judgment. Okay, Kurt. Thank you. Thanks for bringing clarity to the subject there. Any questions or comments for what, uh, what Kurt shared? I'd mentioned the third question here, more, more on church life or our lives. As, as we go on throughout our days, there's a number of reasons why we are here. But one of them is that our lives are to bring or to glorify God. We are here to bring glory to God. And question number three, Damien Good is going to answer. And the, the question is, what happens when members don't represent Jesus? Damien. What happens when members don't represent Jesus? A majority of my thoughts are going to be coming from Mr. Dwayne Weber. I asked him some advice on the topic, and... Um, um, he gave me great advice, and so I'm going to be reading through it. That way I don't go over time because I'm a teacher and I tend to talk a lot of times, so I'm going to be reading through it. When I look at this question, the word represents stands out to me. What do we mean by the term represents? As sinners, when we are born again, we are birthed into the body of Christ. We become his children and part of the family of God. 
The transformative power of God changes people from sinners into the likeness and representatives of Christ. Yet all of us know that there is an ongoing needed work that occurs in the life of believers, and that is called sanctification. The day we are saved, we are made holy in the sight of God. And yet as we continue to live life here on earth, we need the ongoing sanctifying process of God to bring out His holiness within us as we live out the Christian life. Yet all of us know that there is an ongoing work that needs to continue as we go through life. At the point of salvation, there are still areas of our purification that need to take place in each of our hearts as we daily live life. Living the Christian life is a daily process of surrendering our will to God, dying to self and the flesh, and saying yes to the will of God. This is living the Christian life. So as we are in that process of being sanctified, there will be times when we will not represent Christ in the best way that we can or that others might. We all as a church will be at a different place in representing who He is in our spiritual growth. We will all be at different levels of growth. And in some cases, it may appear that Christ is not represented as He should be. Simply because the person is in a maturing process of being sanctified into Christ's likeness. This needs to be considered as we think about what representing Christ means. However, we are all representatives of Christ. And so then, what happens to the one who refuses the sanctifying process of God or, in their spiritual life, they resist His will? Where it is not a matter of immaturity or maturity, we have to look at the place of unrepentant sin that is being exhibited in the life of a professing believer and they are refusing to look at it or process it. So what do we do in these cases? My response would be that we need to look at the process in Matthew 18 and how we begin to address the sin of the one who is refusing to fully represent Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 4-8 also needs to be considered. I would say we need to respond with patience, humility, and discern between what I mentioned above, either maturity and what is blatant sin. The person who does not represent Christ properly due to immaturity, when corrected, will want to strive to represent him in a more perfect way and will respond to the correction. The person whose will is on the line and refuses to humble themselves places themselves in the spot of needing to be disciplined by the church. That's where 1 Corinthians 4, 4 4-8 needs to come in. We as a church need wisdom as how to use this process. We cannot rush into the harsh discipline without giving proper time for the person to repent. But we also dare not err on the other side and tolerate sin that is going to mar the testimony of the church. And so the sin needs to be addressed on a personal level with the individual. If they fail to respond or repent, it will eventually need to be brought to the church. At that point, members should be encouraged to call the one to repentance. If a period of time passes and the one does not repent, They then need to be removed from the blessing and spiritual protection of the church. Turning one over to Satan is a difficult phrase. But it seems it would mean that the person being given over to the power of the one they are choosing to serve. Church discipline should not be viewed as punishment, but rather as a method of redemption to call one back to the body of Christ. The bride of Christ is a pure bride, and we should seek to represent him like that. Practical outworkings of failing to represent Jesus. 
I have five of them. The reputation of the kingdom church is destroyed in the local community. Second one, no new converts because they see the hypocrisy in the church. Third one, children will fall away as they sense legalism, hypocrisy, and fake. Fourth one, a kingdom church will eventually get swallowed by the worldly church. Fifth one, corporate worship is minimized and neglected. Actually, I have six. And the sixth one, individual is turned over to whom they are representing, and that is self and the flesh and the spirit of the one we do not want to serve, but Christ alone. Thank you, Damien. And any questions or comments on his on the thoughts that he had to share, or anybody anything to add on any of the questions that were that were addressed tonight? Get my pen out of my Bible cover. Okay, I hope we all well prepared to take communion on on Sunday. What we're going to do, I think we're going to take prayer requests and then we'll, uh, I think we'll just spend some time in prayer here in the auditorium. And then if you think about it, if you have a pen now, write these prayer requests down and you can take them home with you and, and pray about them in your quiet time.